Hello, and welcome to History is Gay, a podcast that examines the underappreciated and overlooked queer ladies, gents, and gentle envies that have always been there in the unexplored corners of history, because history has never been as straight as you think. Gals and ghouls. I'm Lee. <laughs> and I am Gretchen. <laughs> and we bring to you today a very special spoopy Halloween episode of Ooh. History is Gay. Because we are both Halloween gays. It is our holiday. (laughs) (laughs) We are out in full force today. We are celebrating Halloween. It is officially spoopy season, October 1st. Yay! Feel the spoopy in the air. Mm -hmm. Get yourselves a black cat. Get on your broomstick, be a super gay witch, which is yes. just a, it's repetitive. Um. <laughs> right? I mean, like, all you need to do is say be a witch, and it's like, oh, right, yeah, gay. Super gay. Yeah, yeah, super duper. So we're bringing you something a little different this week. We are going to be talking about gay paranormal activity. Yeah, so both of us ha- love Halloween. Obviously. Yes. yes. So we we wanted to do something a little bit different. We both have got some drinks. We both gotten a little bit tipsy. Yeah. uh, Or will be in the process of recording this. And so we're going to share some awesome stories that we got from a wonderful book called Queer Hauntings, True Tales of Gay and Lesbian Ghosts. Because if there are gay and lesbian and queer and trans people in life... They're going to be them in the afterlife. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) we couldn't let October go by without doing something a little silly, a little out there. And also, like, ghost stories by nature have a lot of history to them. Mm -hmm. They're usually relegated to buildings that have long storied histories. So we wanted to go into that. So we're going to share some of these stories for our our kind of beginning part. And then we have a really awesome thing that we got Mm -hmm. to do. We have an interview with one of the producers of the YouTube series Queer Ghost Hunters, Hunting Queer Ghosts. Yes. Uh, if you've if you've never seen it, please go onto YouTube, check it out. It is a group of really awesome, campy, fun people from Columbus, Ohio. It's the Stonewall Columbus Ghost Hunters group, and the show follows them as they go into various investigations and look into meeting up and making contact with queer entities. Which yeah, yeah. The first season is on lesbian nuns, which like yes, hey. Taylor Fit, those of our fans who listen to our episodes, we did a whole episode on monks and nuns. And the first, right? I'm not going to lie. I literally thought of that episode when when I was talking to Gretchen. Was like, we should do an episode on gay monks and nuns. (laughs) I literally was like, hey, so I saw this cool thing where they went to a convent and they talked to lesbian nuns, and there was a thing called particular friends. 
We, we should look into that. We should talk about those particular friends. So yes, if you're interested in particular friends, <laughs> long dead yes. particular friends, you should go watch the mm-hmm. first season. Also the second <laughs> season, which is not yes. in a convent, but it is still good. Yes, super awesome. So we'll we'll uh, close out the episode with our interview with Joe Applebaum, who we had a lovely conversation with this morning. Yes. And uh, a lot of fun stories come out of that. Do we have any content warnings or new business announcements, anything like that? I don't think so. We are sticking to gory and gruesome free stories here today yes. <laughs> because it's supposed to be fun. Like spoopy yes. but fun. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, there are, you know, several uh stories in this book if you go out and get it that are tales of gruesome murders or tragic tragic things like the fire in the upstairs lounge and things like that. But we decided to do some of the more more fun jaunty ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just, you know, be warned if you if you read the book, you know, you're dealing with ghosts and dead people, so there's bound to be a bit of at least a bit of morbidity involved. Yes, yes. if I may. Though I will say as a lovely follow up and transition into our section, in this book is Lizzie Borden. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Who we talked about last time. Apparently, the apparition of Lizzie Borden has a fondness for sitting at the window of her upstairs window in Maplecroft looking out on the town of Fall River and lamenting her life. She is eternally waiting for one final visitor to bring cheer to her afterlife. Perhaps, too, she awaits the return of her favorite love, Nance O'Neill. Aww. Aww. That kind of makes yeah. me sad. Like, Lizzie Borden's waiting for friends and her girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> we got this book before we recorded our episode right? on Lizzie Borden. And so when we were compiling our research, I was trying to get a head start on doing stuff for this episode. And then I was like, wait a minute, Lizzie Borden is in this book. <gasps> I can get a head start. Oh, hey, I can use this book for research. There's some interesting <laughs> stuff in here to look at. <laughs> um, which is funny because this this book is uh, very clearly self-published. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic, but it has some some fun quirks that I enjoy. My my favorite is the font. Like, if there's a C before the T, the T becomes this swoopy, like, thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's honestly, I, uh, I'm ashamed to say that it took me until like literally the second to last story to notice that that was the specific criteria for it. I was like, why is there a weird swoopy T some places and not the others? And then I finally realized that it was when it's connected to a C. It's like, um, I'm bad at observation. (laughs) I think I was probably on the third or fourth story when I was like, oh, there you go. Why is it? It's some places, but not others. others, I just started fixating on it and then I had to figure it out out <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man all right yes. so so shall so, we yeah so yes let's uh let's dive right in before we get into our our favorites a lot of these stories and just the very idea of like ghost hunting and interest in paranormal investigations it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a queer history podcast if we didn't bring you a little bit of little bit of historical context here yeah so we wanted to talk a little bit about the phenomenon of spiritualism which Gretchen will be talking about a tiny bit in one of her favorite stories from the book but we just wanted to give you a little bit of context so in the late 1800s through the early 1920s there was this epidemic of a basically quasi-religious movement Mm -hmm. called spiritualism that took hold mainly in the United States but in a lot of different English-speaking countries so all Mm -hmm. over the UK as well various parts of Europe so spiritualism was a religious movement based on the belief that spirits of the dead exist and have both the ability and the inclination to communicate with the living. So the spiritualists saw the afterlife, or the spirit world, 
not as a static place, but one in which spirits continue to evolve. So they believed that spirits were kind of on a plane above humans, and also that they will communicate with Mm -hmm. humans. So the very concept of like having a clairvoyant or having a medium, this is where the idea and concept for seances came into effect. So this led spiritualists to another belief, which is that spirits are capable of providing useful knowledge about moral and ethical issues, which is where it kind of became sort of a religion. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get insights about the nature of God by talking to spirits that have passed on. Mm -hmm. Some spiritualists will speak of, like, a concept such as uh, spirit guides, which were specific spirits that they relied for spiritual guidance. It developed Mm -hmm. and reached its peak growth in membership from the mid-1800s, so, like, 1840s to the 1920s. And by 1897, spiritualism was said to have more than 8 million followers in the United States and Europe. And it was primarily a middle and upper class phenomenon because you know i mean if you're trying to i don't really if you're just right, trying I don't to get really food know how, on the table i don't know that you're gonna be deciding like, gee i just spent a whole day working in the coal mine i feel like contacting my dead grandfather <laughs> right exactly <laughs> yeah you're like i already know what he has to say which is our coal mining sucks yeah exactly like, but yeah, it was, it was interesting because uh, spiritualism, for a good half century, it was flourishing, but they didn't have any sort of like formal organization or texts that they based things around. Most of the time, they communicated with each other as a group through distributing periodicals. A lot of like trans lecturers would tour around the country. They would have meetings. They would have missionary activities done by, you know, some of the most accomplished and famous mediums. And interestingly enough, many of the prominent spiritualists were women, and they were pretty progressive. Mm. They supported causes like the abolition of slavery and women's suffrage. And so you have, Hmm. I mean, obviously you have to have somewhat of an open mind to be like, gosh, I think I can talk to people from the beyond. Maybe we (laughs) should also stop shitty things like racism and sexism. Uh, I mean... To be fair, it's not a, you know, a blanket statement for everybody involved, but, you know, there's a, there was a tendency. By the late 1880s, the credibility of the movement had sort of weakened because there was a lot of suspicion around fraud, a lot of mediums, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of making stuff up. But so different formal spiritualist organizations began to appear to try to make things Mm. have a little bit more of a credible bent to things. And I did not know this, but apparently spiritualism is still practiced today through various, like, actual spiritualist churches uh, in the United States, Canada, and in the UK. Yeah, I did not know that. So so that's our just little bit of context. Uh, So if you've, you know, if you've ever wondered how ghost hunting started and seances and where mediums came from, check that out. There's a bunch of really awesome, like, spooky podcasts that go into the history of spiritualism. A lot of really wonderful ghost stories uh, tend to come out of this era. So check them out if that's something you're interested in. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really fascinating how that evolved. And it, it intrigues me that there's that it's still somehow around, mm-hmm. just in like different forms. Yeah, totally. Yeah, let's let's tell some stories. Yeah. This story is from Gloucester, England, and in the book it is entitled Pilgrim's Rest. Yes. So on the pilgrimage route from Gloucester Cathedral, there's an inn 
that has existed since 1350. And so been there for a really long time. In the 15th century, it was overhauled. And rumor has it that Lady Jane Grey, if you are familiar at all with uh, Lady Jane Grey, who was the mother of Queen Elizabeth, I believe. Mm, yes. Yeah. So rumor has it that Lady Jane Grey was dubbed the Queen of England within its walls. So this has been around for a long time. Very interesting. And it's been a functioning business the whole time. And it was restored to its former glory last year, which – when was this book published? 2009. Yeah. So in 2008, it was restored to its former glory and is – Currently still functioning as an inn. So you can go there, you can stay the night and offers, you know, overnight visitors, old world charm with modern conveniences. And it's got ghosts. Of course it has ghosts. So here we go. Old buildings might come with an assortment of creaks and groans brought on by old age, but voices are not a common production of timber beams. (laughs) Some people have been terrified in the night by menacing whispers of angry utterances emitting from thin air in their bedrooms. The words are indistinguishable, though the speaker might be a monk from the inn's earliest history. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Before it was an inn, it was a monastery. Mm-hmm. Um, his phantom frequents the Oak Suite, which just so happens to be the oldest room in the hotel. Previous owners have questioned his sexuality. The ghost monk has a certain fondness for male guests, some of whom have felt his uncomfortable closeness. Ooh. When women become involved in overnight sleepovers, he voices his disapproval. To the extreme. Can't handle any of that straight nonsense. And this is the best part. Straight couples find the sheets ripped off the bed if they become too frisky with each other. (laughs) Either the monk disapproves of procreation or there's a voyeuristic streak running through his long dead bones. Or he just doesn't like straight people. Like, that's an option. If he's a gay guy. I wouldn't want to be forced to watch that nonsense either. Change the channel. Like, (laughs) if you don't want it in the real life, why in the afterlife? You're like, come on, guys. Really? Come on. No, get out of bed. Well, and if it's like, if it's in the afterlife, you can't just get up and leave. You're kind of tied to a spot, kind of forced to watch it. Like, no, none of this chicanery. Remove the sheets. He's probably like, seriously, in front of my salad, in front of my like ghostly afterlife salad, you are trying to have this straight nonsense. Oh my God. No. None of that. <laughs> so yeah, apparently the ghost monk, the gay ghost monk, enjoys ripping the sheets off of the bed of straight couples, and I just find that utterly delightful. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> what do you so have? So I'm going to be telling the story of a, uh, a spirit with phantom hands at the George mm. Hotel in East Dereham, England. So there's this this building, the George Hotel, that has been around for over two and a half centuries, And the inn went through a lot of different changes from its beginning to what it is now, but it has had a haunted reputation for many decades, often attributed to the infamous Green Lady, but she's only one Mm. of a, a handful of spirits residing there. There have been many a different ghostly event happening in this building. Glasses in the bar of the hotel tend to fly off the shelves, cold spots occur throughout the building. Noises and activity are frequently reported from the upstairs accommodations. But there is a, there's one ghost in particular that we wanted to focus on that has left some, some staff members a bit bewildered and somewhat uncomfortable. 
So, mm. so in the book, it says, In recent years, a young male waiter felt an invisible force tugging at the zipper on his pants while gathering supplies in the dry storage room. During an investigation, Gretchen can, like, not keep a straight face with this. It's fantastic. I can't. <laughs> uh, dur- so they brought in, they brought in a paranormal investigation team. Uh, so during mm-hmm. an investigation conducted by a British paranormal team for the magazine Paranormal Norfolk, that's a tongue twister, Paranormal Norfolk, uh, <laughs> a, a clairvoyant medium felt a tug on his belt in the same location. He sensed what he described, because heterosexuality gonna do, a, quote, female presence in the adjacent laundry area. <laughs> So the laundry had actually once housed the bakery during the time when the inn actually used to bake its own bread. And then the following morning after the investigation, the mediums were shown an old photograph of the bakery staff. And one actually pointed out the individual entity that was felt by staff and the ghost hunters. Except it wasn't a woman. It was a past male employee. Wow. So... <laughs> no one knows the exact identity of the mysterious young man lingering in close proximity to the long-extinguished brick ovens. Yet he seems to maintain his fondness for men. Women are not mm. safe from his attention either. Many report having their long locks brushed or tugged. It appears that the spry spirit is ever mindful of hygiene, though the worry of bread becoming contaminated by hair has long passed. So apparently guests and staff generally are threatened by this gay ghost, more likely just kind of bewildered and annoyed and like, hey, please <laughs> stop touching my that's crotch. My pants. Yeah, that's, those are my pants. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, is he, uh, please keep me in my pants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ken Summers, who's the author of the book, notes, though some young males may be wise to heed their trepidation while venturing into the kitchen, dead eyes can retain their lustfulness and curiosity. After all, deceased men are only human too. <laughs> I guess uh, I ghosts it. gonna be ghosts. I mean, I guess. I guess it's hard to ask consent when you're dead. Maybe I, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or maybe he's just confused. Maybe what are these things? What are these what, zippers? What is, I don't what, understand. What them. is a zipper? <laughs> I don't get it. it. Oh, that's a yeah, good one. I love that. One. All right, I was just like, oh god. So. I love how so many of these seem kind of voyeuristic. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're in the afterlife, right, you got you're you gotta be super bored. Like if you could just look at pretty people all day for the rest of your afterlife, why wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. Which is a great segue to my next story. Oh, yes. Which is called From One Queen to Another, <gasps> A Spirit at the Queen's Theater. I love this one. This is this is from London, England. Some of the best stories are from England, okay? Yeah. Like, half of the book is, or more than half of the book is from the United States, but some of my favorite stories are the ones from England. I don't know what it is. Jolly English ghosts. ghosts are, <laughs> they're, they're friskier? I don't know. Maybe they're making up for all of the repression that they live through. <laughs> I, in their, I guess in so, their maybe. Normalized, I don't know. <laughs> all right, so, the aptly named Queen's Theatre sits on Shaftesbury Avenue between other theaters scattered among sprinklings of gay nightlife. Designed by renowned architect W.G.R. Sprague, it opened to its first performance in October of 1907. The Portland stone facade held seating for as many as 2,000 playgoers on two tiers accessible by way of Grand Marble Staircase. This is a beautiful building. There are green curtains and carpets were offset by the white and gold Edwardian walls. Over the fireplace in the grand entrance foyer hung a portrait of Queen Alexander, the theater's namesake. 
The second tier, secured using cantilevers, reflected an Italian Renaissance flavor, as it was customary at the time to combine various styles. The theater received a facelift in 1913, and then it was, you know, changed hands, was used on and off between the 40s and 50s. Eventually, it was recognized as a historical site in 1972, listing it as a significant building of more than local interest. I mean, I guess it's good if it's more than local interest. And as is true for many of London's old structures, the Queen's has developed a haunted reputation. Theaters are a good place to find ghosts, I have heard. And I would imagine... Queers in theaters? I know, right? Like, hey, it's theater. I wonder if we'll find any queer people in this theater. (laughs) Guess what? Yes. The answer is yes. Glowing balls of light and translucent white mists materialize near the stage and surrounding auditorium. Phantom drafts are accompanied by strange sounds and footfalls. The royal box is occupied by a female figure. A long list of entertainers and watchers has graced the stage and seats of the Queen's Theater, leaving behind imprints and the occasional spook. But one apparition gains prominence among all others. Others. He sports a long gray coat accented with velvet lapels. He's a fashionable dude, this ghost. Employees and technicians have encountered this middle-aged ghost throughout the theater. So he's a middle-aged guy. Sometimes he sits in the high balcony before vanishing abruptly. His presence is most strongly connected to the upper circle, where he walks in the direction of the backstage, passing through a wall once occupied by a doorway leading to the old manager's office, which has led many to speculate that he may have been the playhouse manager. Mm. Another intriguing haunt of the man in gray is the stall's bar changing room. <laughs> Ushers and other male staff often sense the uncomfortable stare of the ghost as they dress for work. Hmm. Hmm. The ghost's questionable sexuality was confirmed during a seance with psychic Becky Walsh and sensitive researcher Ian Shalito, who investigated the Queens in 2006. They asked a series of yes or no questions, and the ghost revealed he had once worked at the location and, furthermore, was responsible for the intent gaze felt by undressing men. Hmm. He also indicated that one party seated at the table, an usher for the theater, was particularly attractive. Hmm. He's got a thing for the usher. That's fun. Another tantalizing possibility is that he could be the award-winning actor from the theater's past. John Gilgood starred in four plays at the Queens during the 1937-38 to season, and he never denied his homosexuality. He was actually uh, convicted of having anonymous sex in a public bathroom. So this man was very publicly and openly queer. Yes, and that was, and that was actually called, what, cottaging? That was the cottaging. term. Yes, there's mm-hmm. your there's your word of the week. Is cottaging Yay! anonymous cottaging. sex in a public bathroom? Gay men are Something. great. <laughs> <laughs> this is never a thing I would consider doing. Yeah, it's like, like I feel I, I would never my... want to have sex in a bathroom. No, I feel like my sex should be at least somewhat sanitary. Right, right. Though I did. Almost, I think, I'm not sure if they actually had sex, but the last time I went to a concert, there was a, there were two girls standing in front of me that my partner and I spent like almost the whole concert, well, at least I did, being like, girlfriends or friends? Like I played the whole like mental game of like, girlfriend or girlfriends, girlfriend or best friend. Mm -hmm. Like I knew they weren't siblings, but I was like, I wonder. And then, Afterward, when we were all going to the bathroom after the concert, oh I saw them both go into the same stall. And I was like, hmm. Mm. Hmm. You know, she's just helping her out. 
they're right. That's what she's just, normal yeah. best friends. Somebody's do. just a little too drunk to go to the bathroom by themselves. It's perfectly innocent. Right? There's no, no other I mean, reason you could go into a public no. bathroom stall together. Together, right? And into the, the handicapped wide stall. So, anyway. Uh, see, that just, seen- makes, that just makes me upset, because somebody needs to use that. <laughs> true, true. So, I have seen it. I have, I'm fairly certain that that was probably what was happening in that bathroom stall. Most likely. Um, Most likely. Good for them. Good job, guys. <laughs> Not my choice, but you live your dream. Super happy for you guys. So, yeah. Uh, cottaging. Yes, Word the of the dream. week. <laughs> the dream of having sex in a public restroom after a concert. Good job. Yes. So, you good. Yes. Back. He was convicted of cottaging, and the actor passed away on May 21st, 2000, at the age of 96, and given his connection to Queens, it is possible that he is the one who is spying on all of the men hmm. in the Queens. So, I, lo- I love this. Actor, director, or former manager, the title of the gray-suited voyeur remains an enigma, perplexing investigators and employees. Whoever he is, the gay ghost of Queens Theatre loves his haunt. And with free tickets to every production, as well as plenty of youthful eye candy, the spirit in residence is likely to loiter for more, for many more curtain calls. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, like you said, if I were in the afterlife, I would probably eventually get bored. And at some point I might be like, oh, there's some pretty people. Let me watch them. I will watch them. He gets free tickets to every show. Mm-hmm. Including dinner, the show and the men's exactly. dressing D- room. Dinner and a show and a show. Yes. There you go. Exactly. Oh, I'm a poet and I didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when Gretchen and I drink. Although, honestly, like, this is not that different from any other episode we've done. Let's be real. No, not really. I might be slightly more giggly, but, like, other than that, I mean, I feel like this is pretty normal. This is pretty normal. Yeah. Um, All right, Lee, what do you have next? (laughs) So the next one I have is called Loose Women, Nevada's Wayward Lesbian Ghost. And this has the Mm. best opening paragraph of any story in the entire book. It is my favorite. So this is a real short one, so I'm just going to read it verbatim, because I think that Ken Summers puts it in in words the best. Uh, Ken Summers, if you listen to this podcast, I hope you don't get mad that we're reading entire excerpts of your book. Um, (laughs) We'll put you in our show notes. We'll put you in our show notes. We have some Patreon monies if you get mad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... The untamed western frontier of America was a lawless place. Men lived and died with their boots on, strolling through dirty streets on their way to saloons and brothels. There were no rules. Law and order often came at the end of a rifle. Nevada's desert land offered little in the way of civilization, but it did have lesbians. <laughs> the best. I seriously, I seriously have written in the site like the paragraph of my book. I just have like, oh my god, like and like underlined multiple times right? because that was one of the best paragraphs I've ever read it was ever so in my good. life. Yeah. Uh, so, this but it is, did have lesbians. Yes. This is the story of two women called Timber Kate and Bella Rawhide, which yes. are the most amazing names. And if somebody does not do a Deadwood role-playing game with the characters <gasps> Timber Kate oh and Rawhide gosh. and Bella Rawhide, I will be very upset. 
So yes. role-playing fans, role-playing uh, nerds who are in the History is Gay audience, please tell us your adventures with uh, Timber Kate and Bella Rawhide. Absolutely. So, Timber Kate and Bella Rawhide were a traveling Wild West live sex performance known from the canyons of Carson City to the pine buffs of Spokane, Washington. They were lovers, earning their livelihood, entertaining rough-and-tumble men on stages throughout the Rockies. Live sex show, folks. Live sex show. Like, we don't even, we don't even have to do... Why did we think they were gay? They did a live right? sex show. <laughs> yeah, they they literally had sex with each other on stage. The the Wild West was a a wild time. Uh, can I can I can I go live in the Wild West, please? Please, uh, please. I need to actually watch Westwood, <laughs> or Westworld, whatever it is. Westworld, Deadwood, Westwood. Deadwood, I don't know. Yeah, TV, whatever. <laughs> uh, the TV. So- the TVs. So, one day, Bella met a dark stranger named Tug Daniels. She left her older female lover and fled for a different life. Boo. Compulsory heterosexuality. Or bisexuality, but like, come on, you're gonna leave your lady and, uh, you're gonna leave your your lucrative live sex performance career with, uh, with Timber Kate. Right, with a guy named Tug. Tug? Tug Daniels. Tug Daniels. That sounds like... That sounds like a sex worker name. It really does. Like, it sounds like a porn star name. Yeah. Tug Daniel. Tug I Daniels. mean, they all kind of do. Yeah. Well, I mean... Timber, Kate, Bella, Rawhide. I like. mean, they were sex workers, so it works. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it works. Yeah. Uh, so, Kate changed her act. She took to the stage like a circus strongman in masculine attire and tights before revealing her feminine parts in a striptease. Okay. Good for but, her. like, that's pretty great. Uh, her show came to an hot. end in 1880 when Bella and Tug reappeared in Reno, Nevada. In a house of ill repute called the Beehive, the three quarreled with raised voices. Tug wasn't going to lose his woman without a fight. He pulled out a knife and sliced Kate from stem to stern. He fled the murder scene and eluded capture. Bella, overcome with grief, drank poison two years later. So that's like, that's the most gruesome this gets. It's pretty gruesome, but like, at least... You know, it was part of a love triangle and not like a terrible hate crime. Yay. That's, that's true. Yeah, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So the old brothel on North Quincy Street in Reno is long gone, but some locals say that Kate hasn't left. Her ghost, dressed in a white bloodied nightgown, has been seen floating down the lane and along the adjacent streets. She's been left in constant exploration, seeking both the man who did her wrong and the woman she loved so deeply. I am really inspired to write a book about this. Write a novel. Do it. Do it. Like yes. I, I. That's the other note in the margins of this of this page is like <laughs> I want a novel of this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh hey, maybe I could write it. So do it. Do stay it. tuned. Yes. Stay tuned. Maybe I will have the ballad of Timber Kate and Bella Rawhide. Yes. I'll change some facts because because <laughs> I'll make it better. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what's what's your next one, Gretchen? My next story is Music and Mediums, the House of Francis Grierson. Ooh. So this is where spiritualism comes in. So as the spiritualist movement was sweeping across the globe in the 1800s, we have the birth of Benjamin Henry Jesse Francis Shepherd. That's a lot of names. That is a lot of names. I would not want to be his mother yelling <laughs> that name out loud. Benjamin Francis, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Benjamin Henry, Jesse Francis Shepherd, whatever. No wonder he changed his name to Francis Gerson. Yes. (laughs) 
born on September 18th, 1848, in Liverpool, England. His parents, Joseph Shepard and Emily Grierson, struggled in the desperate economic depression that plagued England during this difficult decade. And in 1849, the family, like many others of the time, left for America and settled in Illinois. So he and his younger sister didn't attend any formal schooling, but by the age of 20, Jesse set sail for France to pursue a career in music. Um, He was a very gifted musician. While he didn't know how to read music, he would uh, play by ear. And so would, like, had these beautiful, like, virtuoso performances just because he was so good at listening and then interpreting music. And now Jesse had been fascinated by the occult since his childhood in Illinois, uh, listening to bizarre night noises in the open country and watching locals try to make sense of the appearance of Comet Donati in October of 1858. This new awakening of his childhood fancies became his second focus in life. Beginning in Russia, he performed seances, with his musical concerts, and Jesse Shepard would become known, well-known as both a musician and a medium. By 1880, after touring San Francisco with a brief stop in Australia, he moved to Chicago, where he conducted his own seances in the home of a paranormal medium. He was a spiritualist himself and had strong feelings about the paranormal, um, and so he limited, but he limited any mediumship to piano performances. The spirits of such famous composers as Chopin, Mozart, and Beethoven were alleged by Jesse to inhabit his body as he played. Mm. It was intuition, not training, which enabled his fantastic music. At various times, he claimed to be a vessel for Shakespeare, Caesar, and even Egyptian spirits who spoke through him during his seances. Concerts included operatic pieces and his personal contemporary compositions performed in dusky rooms, giving them a unique, mystical atmosphere unlike anything of its time. And I totally want to go to one of his concerts. Yes. This sounds really cool. This sounds really fun. (laughs) This sounds awesome. Um, It was during this chapter of Shepard's life that he met a tailor named Lawrence Waldemar Tonner in 1885. Lawrence was a quiet young man of 22 who took on the role of personal secretary to the 37-year-old Shepherd. The two shared a bond beyond the traditional business relationship, Mm. of course, Mm -hmm. Uh, although Tonner was not interested in drawing attention or being in the public eye. On the surface, they were uh, close friends, but they were lovers behind Victorian doors. Mm. So the first spiritualist society in San Diego, so eventually moved to San Diego, uh, became well aware of the psychic pianist, as Jesse was known, and urged him to relocate out west. And he eventually did, and with they offered to pay for construction of a home for him, no matter what his demands were. So Jesse, of course, accepted the offer because who the fuck wouldn't when someone's like, <laughs> we're going to give you money to build whatever house you want. I'd be like, uh... Sure. Yeah. yeah. Build Totes. me a giant fancy house, which is exactly what happened. They built him a giant fancy house. Construction began in 1887. Um, and there's a lot of information on what is called the Villa Montezuma, uh, which was named in honor of the boat that his family took from England to the United States, which is called the Montezuma. But my favorite part, of course, is this part. Dominating the entire eastern quadrant of Villa Montezuma, the music room was Shepard's showpiece and entertainment quarters. Multicolored light beamed through the numerous art glass windows surrounding the space. The face of literary great Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, alongside playwrights William Shakespeare and Pierre Corniel, peered from a rounded bay along the northeast wall. St. Cecilia's visage stood vigil over an intricate pipe organ. The longest wall was centered with a large portrait 
window depicting the Greek poet Sappho mm. surrounded by her devotees. It uh, illuminated yes. Shepard's immense seven and one third octave knob piano. Right. Because Tot- street people. Totally so straight, a sexual right? household. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Just like a giant glass window devoted to Sappho. That's what straight men do, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's, Absolutely. Like, that's like having a dog named Sappho and saying that you're just hanging out with your bestie close friend. Right? Yeah. Nothing nothing at all gay going on yeah. here. So I just love that he had a giant window dedicated to Sappho. Good job. Good <laughs> job, I, dude. Can I and have if, one of those? Right? If I could afford it, I would. Somebody commission... So, yeah, can I commission, like, a stained glass Sappho window from someone... And I and I need like crowns of of uh of violets. Yes. On. Yes. Okay, but that would legit be like a beautiful like t-shirt design. Mm. Any of our any of our artist friends out there? Hello. If you could do Hello. Hello. We would love if one of our listeners who has an artistic bent wants to do like a stained glass design dedicated to Sappho holding like a lyre with like crowned with violets. Yes. Go, artistic people. I am not one of those. <laughs> no. We we do our artistry through speaking. Yes. Hello. I can I can speak and I can write, but if you try and make me draw something, yeah. <laughs> Visual mediums, not <laughs> our strength. <laughs> not at all. Ah, mediums. Perfect. Ah. Yeah, but um We had to have at least one pun in every episode. It's in yes. our contract now. Yes. So eventually, <laughs> eventually, Jesse grew tired of music and occult spirituality and decided to become a writer and as often happens with writers he did not do very well and didn't have a lot of money and they he and his partner struggled with poverty for a very long time and on may 29th of 1927 yeah this during this time period is when he changed his name to francis from jesse changed his name to francis gruson he arranged a benefit concert in Los Angeles for his many friends to raise funds just for his mere survival. As Francis finished his masterpiece, he paused with his head bowed down toward the keyboard. Applause echoed through the room, yet his hands did not shift from the keys of his final chord. His eyes were closed as if lost in some meditative thought. The audience quieted and a somber hush fell over the crowd. Francis did not move. Tonner rose and stepped to the piano. His loving partner had passed away after playing the final notes. So poetic. I know, he like dies playing his last concert. So, ghostly rumors at the Villa Montezuma began as early as 1910 when owners claimed Shepard's seances had attracted a variety of spirits. So he had to sell his house. So even when he was still alive, people were saying that like all the seances he held had attracted spirits. But after his death, in the pale glow of moonlight, the shadowy figure of a hanged man revealed itself in tower windows. It said that the ghost of Shepard's former butler... According to local lore, the man took his own life while prostrate with grief over the death of his wife. His gloomy face sometimes peers down at the street below. Some say the first embodiment of Shepard came in the 1960s, and this is what makes me so very happy. Uh, When a blue-eyed Abyssinian cat strolled up the front walk and made the aging structure its home, the locals proclaimed the feline Psyche, so named the cat Psyche. Not only did the creature somehow survive the devastating fire that destroyed the building, but residents claimed that the mystical-looking cat lived far longer than the traditional lifespan. 
Although Jesse Shepard lived barely two years in the villa, the pain of losing such a magnificent home may have drawn his essence back to his former home. A powerful presence, often said to be that of Shepard, has been felt in the music room on numerous occasions. After nightfall, artistically flowing music can often be heard emanating from the locked music room in Villa Montezuma. The psychic pianist lives on in spirit in his grand house, harmonizing with his early occupation. Hmm. I just love that he came back in a cat. Yes. <laughs> oh, kitty, kitty. I'm yes. having like hocus pocus feelings with like Salem. <gasps> yeah. Or not, not Salem. What's his, what's his, uh, God, what was his name? Z- yeah, I think it was Zachary, but Binks. Yeah. Binks. Uh, hocus pocus. So oh. good. That, okay, that we- is like one of my Halloween mainstays. Like I will watch in the Halloween season. I make sure that I watch Young Frankenstein. Hocus Pocus and Paranorman at the very least. I'll get, mm. I'll usually get like the craft in there as well. Oh, another um, good one. Mm-hmm. But like those are my three wonderful mainstays. I have to watch Hocus Pocus. It's so good. I love it. Oh, it's so good. And this year we're gonna have Charmed. Yes, Charmed is coming back. And the and the middle sister is a lesbian. So woo! it's so funny because like I haven't really watched a lot of Charmed because I was a Buffy gay. At the time. Oh. So, like, all of my attention went straight to Faith Lahane, and I ignored all of Charmed. <laughs> See, maybe this was a sign that I wasn't a bisexual, because I was like, I like both. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, why pick one when I can have all of them? True. True. I was very enamored with Buffy. It was like a hundred. Like, that and Animorphs were like my time and then oh and then gosh, harry potter animorphs. came out oh <laughs> uh, yes. don't even get me started on harry potter <laughs> luna deserved better luna did deserve better also also if nymphadora tonks and remus lupin are heterosexual i will eat my hat yep mm-hmm. if that is not the biggest case of a freaking beard that jk rowling has ever thrown at us i don't know what else is Yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. Some someone someone please write a story that has a character who's not named Nymphadora Tonks, but is also a shape changing wizard. Lady. <laughs> yeah. Who, you know, might be queer and maybe genderqueer, because I feel like if you can change your shape, you'd probably might be genderqueer well. because why not? That'd why? be cool. Someone oh, write that God. story, please. I wish. There's a reason why I have the gender the gender change key from locking key. <laughs> mm. I want it so bad. Actually, actually I can recommend to interject, I can recommend a superhero story called mm. Secondhand origin stories where one Ooh. of the main characters is named Yael and um G is gendered. I don't know whether G actually says what your gender identity is, but mm. she uses like G geared mm-hmm. pronouns and shifts between masculine and feminine presentation. Oh, super and neat. super awesome. Highly recommended. Lee Blower South is the author. Uh, I got to meet them at a convention, and the book is great. So, yeah. Anyway, Yay. close enough. Neat. <laughs> Very cool. Maybe not a wizard, but a superhero. Neat. All right. Uh, so, wrapping up here, I'm going to tell my last story. So, we've got Bottoms Up, A Pub with a Pinch. I seemed to pick all of the uh, 
Oh, the handsy you, you grabby like the pit, ones. Right? You like the grabby ghosts. I like the grabby ghosts, apparently. Uh, so this one is centered in Amersham, England, at the Elephant and Castle pub. Um, so Amersham itself boasts a number of ghostly guests and haunted landmarks. Often are, you know, most of them are oft-mentioned murder victims or tormented lovers, as you will usually find in ghost stories. But there are occasional exceptions. Uh, some spirits stand out for their attire or particular habits, and one such manifestation is a prime example, known to give some women a discomforted blush. Uh, so, mm. this is uh, this is centered at the Elephant and Castle pub, which is located in a timbered black and white Tudor building. It hardly resembles a traditional pub for good reason. The tavern was once part of a series of cottages constructed in the late 17th century. It serves interesting food and traditional ale in an unassuming environment. Its resident ghost, however, is far from conventional. On several occasions, employees have reported the ethereal appearance of a woman shrouded entirely in black, wandering the building from basement cellar to upstairs apartment. A neighbor living in an adjoining house noticed her as well, gliding through her kitchen. She does not speak or make a sound, rather making her presence known in a unique manner. Hmm. While gathering beer from the underground storeroom to stock the bar, one barmaid of the Elephant and Castle pub felt a pinch on her rear end. She dropped the bottles in alarm and raced upstairs. Other female workers have reported a similar sharp nipping sensation on their buttocks, without any living hand in sight. It could be a lesbian ghost, according to Sylvia Shippey, who took over the Elephant in 2007. She believes the body presence might be a former manager from the pub's past. The derriere-loving ghost has yet to make her exact identity known, and the mystery of her behavior remains unexplained. Staff members are not frightened by her appearance, though they proceed with caution when venturing into the cellar. What some spirits find amusing doesn't always sit well with the living. <laughs> so if you want to get a butt pinch from a lesbian barmaid ghost, uh, go to Elephant and Castle Pub on 97 High Street, Amersham, Buckinghamshire, England. I'm gonna book my ticket. Yeah, I want a ghosty butt pinch. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally consent to that. Yes, Be like, absolutely. Hello, here is, there is my derriere. Please, if there please, are any I want ghosties? a paranormal encounter. <laughs> yes. I would like mm -hmm. a ghosty butt pinch. So, <laughs> all right, for our next segment, this was my idea, and I'm very excited about it. Yes, this is was, beautiful. Um, let's plan our hauntings. Ooh. What would be our signature haunting card if we were to become a gay ghost? What would people see us doing? What smells or sights? Let's write an entry for ourselves for what our ghost's haunting would look like. Lee, would you like to start? Yes, yes. It is said that history is haunted by those who love it, and that's more than true in the case of this spirit. Always excited to whisper facts into the ears of those willing to listen, people who have an open mind will find it filled with otherworldly knowledge. Their presence is often f revealed by the sounds of a kettle whistling and the smell of spiced chai lattes and warm laughs echoing faintly in the air. Should you find yourself in a playful mood, with company over for a casual board game night, you may find your dice rolling to be unusually lucky. Or, 
If the odds just aren't in your favor, you may find the odd 20-sided die in the freezer mysteriously after an evening of terrible rolls. <laughs> Homeowners have reported the flickering of their televisions back and forth, always seemingly on 90s syndicated shows, flitting between Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Xena Warrior Princess. A warmth can be felt whenever an approved-of show or movie is watched, though be careful with what you choose. The extended watching of any heterosexual romance reality show will immediately cause a brownout. Electronics unable to function for hours. Mas <laughs> Masculine of center individuals who encounter this spirit often find their ties neatened and, s and tightened seemingly by their own volition, and shirts smoothed of wrinkles whenever in their dapper best. Blankets in the house never seem to remain folded for long, always ending up disheveled and crumpled in the corner of the couch, with an indentation as if someone has nestled themselves into a nest, warmth emanating. That side of the couch always seems a little more worn than the other. If you're a chocolate lover, take caution. Milk chocolate will survive just fine, but bring home anything above 60% cacao, and you'll soon find an empty wrapper laying in the cupboard as soon as you get a craving. Better stick to Hershey's if you want to reliably satisfy your sweet tooth. This is so relatable. <laughs> Trans and non-binary visitors to the former home of this spirit will often hear an echoed confirmation of their pronouns upon being misgendered before mm. they can correct the offender themselves. They, she, him. Peace and comfort are always present, as well as sudden remembrance to take care of yourself. Medication reminders, plates of food showing up on bedside tables, and the uncannily consistent presence of large dog encounters on walks when you're having a particularly hard day. Oh. Cisgender straight men will often find themselves in the throes of a sudden onset coughing fit whenever they get the urge to catcall, and their knees buckling under them before they can get out a single, hey, sweet cheeks. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. You had such a great introduction. I didn't write an introduction to mine. That's okay. Oh, well. <laughs> so oh, well. what, uh, what can we expect from the otherworldly presence of Gretchen? Well, her presence is most often made known by the smell of hot Earl Grey tea, sometimes chai tea in the colder months, or by faint traces of lavender where no room spray or diffuser have been used. Books will be pulled off of shelves, left open or bookmarked to favorite passages. Mysterious notes in the margins might appear, commenting on this or that idea if the book is of a more academic nature. Homeowners have reported the sound of computer keys in the living room, slippered feet in the kitchen, and a soprano singing in the master bedroom shower. A ghostly apparition is often seen sitting on her favorite couch curled up with a book, and afterward, blankets left on the couch in her accustomed spot are found warmed, as if by her presence. I'm sensing a theme here. Yes. Sensing a theme. Yes. <laughs> Those who see the apparition claim that her hair, though transparent as the rest of her, still has a faint tinge often of purple, but sometimes blue, green, burgundy, or silver. Socks will go missing, not from the dryer, but from drawers, purportedly stolen from owners because of her famously cold feet and her need to wear two pairs of socks in wintertime. <laughs> <laughs> Similarly, bags of chips, especially salt and vinegar potato chips, will be magically half-empty or entirely empty if left available. Some visitors have reported hearing... The book was better when watching a poor <laughs> film or TV series adaptation of a beloved classic story. <laughs> 
unnecessarily gendered things like pink lady pens or man soap will go missing to wind up in the trash days later. Middle-aged, cishet white men especially feel a sense of discomfort when in her former home, and the power will go out, and electronics will stop working right when they're about to post something racist, sexist, homophobic, or otherwise bigoted on the internet. On the other hand, queer folks, women, and other members of marginalized communities have reported a sense of peace and even of inspiration to write their stories. Many a computer battery belonging to an aspiring queer science fiction and fantasy author has mysteriously lasted far longer than it should have when her presence has been felt nearby. So there's my haunting. I like us as ghosts. I know. We're great ghosts. We're great ghosts. Nothing to be afraid of here unless you're a shitty dude. Right? I mean, that's basically the theme of both of our hauntings is like, <laughs> yeah. if you're an asshole, shitty dude, I things are going to get fucked up. up. <laughs> but everybody else, you're lovely. You're yeah. lovely. We love you. We support yeah. you. We support everything about you. Indeed. <laughs> So yeah, so please do us a lovely Halloween surprise favor and send us what your hauntings would be if you were a gay ghost. We want to hear from you. And actually, if you, uh, we have on our Patreon page a tier where you can submit uh, letters and queries for specific mm. minisodes we will be doing. Uh, you can submit voice memos for things. We'll send out questions. But we want to open up this first one to y'all. This is going to be a free-for-all for everybody just to start off. So I think it would be really, really fun to hear what you all think your gay ghost haunting would be. So if you want to send a voice memo to us at historyisgaypodcast at gmail.com, we might feature it on the show. So go ahead and do that. Yes. Please do it. We'd love to hear it. Yes, yes. Love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, We have a tiny little fun segment now, pop culture tie-in, and before we transition to our interview... If you are a fan of queer ghosts, I mean, there are lots of books and things that you can do. One, my favorite, one of my favorites, happens to be DC Comics' Dead Man, Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love. It is a comic featuring a biracial, bisexual protagonist with a non-binary person of color love interest as they are exploring the lady ghost in a malevolent presence haunting a gothic home with the titular dead man, a superhero, a older DC superhero who happens to be like a ghost (laughs) who's along to help figure things out. It's amazing. It's very gothic. Very gothic. Mm. If you like gothic, definitely read this book. It's got, it's like, yeah, everything you love about a gothic story, except it's very queer and very intersectional. And I love it. It's a four volume miniseries. It's great. I reviewed it when it came out, which I believe was last year. Really good. Highly recommend it. Do you have anything? I any don't. Pop culture stuff? I mean, I mean, other than just someone make a queer adaptation of Ghost, please. I mean, right? I love. Oh my gosh, I love me some Patrick Swayze. But let's get some. Absolutely. Let's get some gay love up in here and pottery. Yes. 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 Oh, and Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. If you've watched like the more recent Ghostbusters with the ladies, there's. There's some anybody subtext. who says Jillian Holt, anybody who says Jillian Holtzman is 
heterosexual is lying to themselves. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Shout out to Beth here with the uh, Holtzman and, oh gosh, I'm so bad with names. What is Leslie Jones's character? Uh, Patty. Patty. Right? Yeah. Patty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Beth with uh, Holtzman and Patty because that is a good ship. It's a great ship. And good then- ship. Good ship lollipop. Uh, anyway. Okay, uh, we need to make a version of that that's gay, though. Let's oh do it. Oh my god, let's do it. Um, and yeah, and so then transitioning into our interview, uh, also just watch Queer Ghost Hunters. It's super fun. You're going to hear more about it's it so when we transition fun. into our interview with Joe Applebaum. Uh, but, uh, but before we go into that, do we want to do a how gay were they real sure. quick? Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lee, how do you think, how gay were these gay ghosts? You know, considering I picked the ones that are just grabby, grabby, I'm going to say 10 out of 10. I mean, like, if you can spend your afterlife pinching bums and undoing zippers, it's not a bad way to, not a bad way to spend eternity, right? Especially if you were, you know, I don't know. I mean, you got a lesbian live sex show. That's like a, that's like a 15 out of 10. Right? uh, Ten gallon hats, absolutely <laughs> in the wild. Absolutely. West. <laughs> absolutely. What about you, Gretchen? Yeah, I mean, I gotta go ten out of ten. One of mine was like a monk who doesn't like heterosexuality, so I On give brand. it like a ten out of ten ectoplasms. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, right? Like, so many of these stories are about like voyeurs and pinching and. I mean, clearly, <laughs> clearly in the afterlife, they're enjoying being themselves, maybe in a way they weren't able to enjoy themselves in the normal life. So good for them. Exactly. Yes. Good on you, gay ghosts. Enjoy being queer in the afterlife when no one can judge you. Yeah. I approve. And, and so with that, we want to hand it over to our interview with Joe, which we were very excited to do. It's wonderful. And uh, we will see you on the other side. <laughs> Hello, everybody. So we are bringing a fun interview to you today for our special spoopy Halloween episode. <laughs> uh, we have on the line Joe Applebaum, who is one part of a team called The Queer Ghost Hunters. Uh, it is a YouTube series, uh, docu-series following a group of ghost hunters out in Columbus, Ohio, who are queer and hunt queer ghosts. So thank you, Joe, for coming and talking to us. I will. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you aboard. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, we wanted we wanted to do like a gay ghost, you know, spooky Halloween episodes because we are, we are both Halloween gays. Yeah, and we, uh, we we couldn't talk about doing something like that without me going. Wait, hold on. There's these really cool people, and I want to talk to them. Can we do that? <laughs> So, yeah. and then we were so glad we got an email back from you. Well, you know what? Um, uh, Halloween is our holiday, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Cohort of Halloween gays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I figured we'd just kind of dive right in. Well, I wanted to start with you. Um, Joe, if you could just kind of introduce yourself and your role and uh, just a little bit about who and what, you know, queer ghost hunters 
the crew and also the show is. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I am one half of uh, our producing team um, uh, with uh, my partner slash husband, Stu Maddox. And uh, we actually have a uh, production company called The Clouder Group. And for anybody that is interested why the name C-L-O-W-D-E-R, it's because a clouder is a group of cats and we are, <gasps> we, are we are catophiles. Oh so, my God, I love that. Um, so we you decided have a that that was going to be the name of our company. We do, um, we do documentaries. Um, we both have, you know, long track records in mainstream television and whatnot, but we do our own documentaries now. And uh, we came across this uh, this group in uh, Columbus, Ohio. That yeah, they they uh, you know not only are they ghost hunters, they are queer people hunting queer ghosts. Mm-hmm. And um, we were intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you so, would be. <laughs> so, you know, we we uh, we started following them around, and then we realized that wow, this is just you know amazing. I mean, the the because not only do they take it seriously, uh, and you really don't you don't have to believe. Obviously, it helps if you do. I mean, they believe they seriously believe, but you know, it's just fun to 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 watch them go through the process. Mm. And so, very quickly, we decided, wow, there is a lot here, and we actually can make a continuing docu series about this because they're a um, a great group of people and um, congenial and work. They're fun together in the mm-hmm. way they. Mm-hmm. And so we we worked up a docu series where. You know, not only are we going to interesting places looking for queer uh, entities, because uh, you know, why wouldn't there be queer entities? Why are they right. what, all straight? Mm-hmm. Please. <laughs> so, um, so not only are we looking for them and finding them, but we're uncovering. Um, the interesting thing is, we're also uncovering a lot of queer history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Know, not big important things, important people that are celebrities or whatnot, but just, I mean, everyday queer life, you know? Okay. Um, for example, we're in the middle of an investigation right now. We're just finishing it up for those of you who watch our series. Um, we're finishing up um, an investigation at Mansfield Prison, which is where uh, the Shawshank Redemption was shot. And, right. you know, we're talking to queer, well, they're identifying as queer, ghost prisoner who are prisoners. I mean, Mm. nobody knows who they are, but it's a chance for these people to tell their story. And again, you know, whether you believe or not is it's helpful if you do, but if you don't, we do try and back it up by, by, you know, digging into these people's past. And in in the Mansfield uh, prison episodes, we actually have been able to find records and pictures of the people that we are supposedly talking to. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was one of our, um, you hit the nail on the head. Like one of our questions was about you know, you're you're searching in the shadows and you're working to shed light on the erasure of queer people from the past and bringing the stories of so many, you know, lost, erased, forgotten lives to new audiences who might not be aware of it. What what role do you and your team see ghost hunting playing in educating people about these lost queer lives and queer stories and history? Well, I, I again, you know, I, I really think the the important thing is we we use I mean for practical purposes, this the the ghost hunting uh, for us is a great 
hook to to uh, engage younger people in mm. queer, um, right. you know, to to show that you know what queer history didn't begin in like you know I don't know 1980 <laughs> or something. Right. Well, well, that's exactly what we're constantly saying. You know, I mean, there there have been queer people through the. Mm-hmm. You know, centuries and millennia. Yep. And so this is an interesting way to shed some light. Um, if we can, like in the case of the, the prisoners at, at the Shawshank prison, if we can identify who they are, and if we're lucky enough to, through research to, to track these people down, we can shed some light on what their life might've been like, mm-hmm. you know, certainly, certainly not like ours. I right. mean, you know, uh, we, we've, you know, for, for all of our, are uh, complaining and whatnot about um, our standing in society. I suppose you know we, we. If you look at the other the other side of that, we've come a long way. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, even one of the entities you talked to in season two, Michael. Like, how amazing is it that he actually got to just say hi? I'm here. I existed. Mm-hmm. I'm oh, a, I'm a person, but or like I was a person once in life, and like how. There are so many people who don't get to do that and just acknowledging that like these mm-hmm. people existed and letting them, you know, come into the sunlight <laughs> or as close to it as they can. Flashlight. Flashlight. Yeah. <laughs> come in flashlight. I like it. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting story with Michael uh, because um, I have a, a, a special um, – Michael has a special place in my heart because mm-hmm. uh, I – uh, actually, I'm the, fir- the person that first made contact with Michael. <gasps> wow! Oh, really? And um, it was uh, it was really interesting. You know, we do a lot of these hunts. Uh, they're not just necessarily one night. They they mm-hmm. span over a couple of nights, or you know, it depends on the situation. And in the case of um, Mansfield Prison, um, Shawshank Redemption Prison, we actually went there twice. And the first time was early on, and I and I will preface this by just with a, a funny little story. When we first came across the idea of um, of queer ghost hunters, Stu actually is the one that that came across the idea, and he brought the idea to me. And I mean, I almost you know laughed in his face. I said, "Are you kidding? Really? <laughs> we're, we're seriously going to do this?" And I was, I admit, I was skeptical. Mm. And I went on um, and on the on the Mans- the first Mansfield hunt. Like I said, we did it twice, and uh, and I was kind of skeptical. And uh, and we shot it and this and that. And uh, and I found myself sitting on the floor of the uh, for anybody who's seen the Shawshank Redemption, the shower room, mm. and uh, in the dark in the middle of the night, and it's freezing. And uh, we started to make contact with this um, this entity, and. Um, and through trial and error and um, whatnot, asking the right questions, yes and no questions, we found out his name is Michael. And actually, I had a nice little chat with him, and I found out, mm. you know, that he was 20, 20 years old when he was incarcerated, and that he uh, was molested and uh, abused in the shower room and in other places. He eventually mm. died in prison, wow. and he had a boyfriend in the prison. And through yes and no questions, we found out all of this information. And I can't tell you the just. Wow. Dis- personal effect that had on me covering mm. this lost individual right. mm. and, and trying to tell his story. And so I was hooked and mm. uh, <laughs> I, I came on yeah. board and, uh, you know, uh, here we are. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, so so you mentioned that you you filmed in the Mansfield prison. I know in season one it was focused on lesbian nuns at an <laughs> old convent and uh, and the uh, convent. Uh, graveyard and yeah. wanted to ask you know I, I know that they've the team has also conducted investigations to places like asylums and theaters yeah. what what makes these types of locations such a ripe atmosphere to search for entities that may have identified along the lgbt spectrum as opposed to other places you might find paranormal investigation teams just you know old haunted houses kind of all over the place well to to tell you the truth that, i mean that's a very good question and i'm not sure i have you know a really good answer for you except that we have uh, through our research come up with a long list of places where um, paranormal activity has been detected. Hmm. Uh, some have, you know, reputations as gay uh, or LGBT, you know, establishments. For example, uh, the Upstairs Lounge right. in, in New Orleans, where mm-hmm. we are dying to go to. Oh, I bet. Yeah, there's, uh, yep. But, uh, but, you know, there are, there's a long list of places. Uh, you know, I come back to, to what I said earlier. It's like, uh, uh who says all these ghosts are straight? That's absurd. Right. <laughs> you know? so, so, you know, you could go to um, any place and instead of, you know, nobody is asking the question, are you, a, you know, a, an LGBT entity, a queer entity? Are you straight? You know, nobody's asking that question. Mm-hmm. So we kind of go anywhere. Um, that's been our experience. Now, I will say that for, because we're a visual show, right. um, you know, we do take that into consideration. What would look good? Mm. You know, what's extra mm. creepy? So, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's some theater involved as well, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, I think in one of the episodes, I think it was Shane possibly who, who said something about how mm-hmm. like th- these sort of locations to asylums and prisons are, you know, queer people throughout history have been a large part of the people who have been relegated to those kind of institutions because of, societal attitudes towards queerness depending on where you are and at what time period things are going on um so i think yeah those are those are some really fantastic places to start looking in terms of just statistics (laughs) absolutely (laughs) absolutely we had no we had no doubt in in our heads that you know walking into mansfield prison that you know there were going to be queer entities i mean Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. You know, uh, uh, asylums, hospitals. Uh, I, you know, here's another interesting thing. Something that we that we want to do now. It's, you you may think, oh, it's obvious, but if you really think it through, it really could be powerful. The um, at the height of the AIDS crisis here in San Francisco, because you know, uh, Stu and I are actually based in San Francisco. Mm. Uh, we, uh, you know, during the AIDS, uh, the height of the AIDS crisis, you know, there were all kinds of hospital wards and places where we feel that we should be going now, mm. looking back mm. at that time. Right. And you know, we we are expecting that we're going to find a lot of activity. Yep. One yep. is is a church that uh, is on the list. Well, San Francisco is trying to get it marked as a historical land site, landmark, um, but there are others that want to build condos. Ugh. <laughs> and, because, of course, San Francisco. Yeah. Gotta love the Bay Area. <laughs> and, um, well, we do need more housing, but not necessarily there, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. But having said that, uh, you know, it was during the height of the AIDS crisis, it was used as a temporary morgue mm. because there were so many bodies and uh, mm-hmm. so 
we look at i you know not to be gruesome or anything but quite honestly we look at that as a a very powerful place to go and do an investigation so that's just one example right Mm. right because yeah for as much as we know about the the aids crisis and what the at least the cultural impact and what that did to like change visibility i still think there are a lot of individual stories that we don't know and oh, people oh. who deserve to be contacted and talked to about their experiences. Absolutely. Countless. Yeah. Countless. The, the person, uh, not to dwell on the, uh, the church, but the, um, the person that uh, is sort of uh, overseeing it, caretaking it, this um, older gay man who is sort, sort of lo- looking out for it right now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He has a special connection because uh, he and his um, late partner, used to participate in the choir at the church mm-hmm. and his late partner was one of those people who um who well i mean his body was placed there when it was a temporary morgue and so you know this oh. this us and said you know i would so welcome you guys doing an investigation because i'd love to see if i could make contact oh. with my late partner oh wow you know there's a special connection to the location mm-hmm. yeah absolutely oh that'd be so powerful it would be yeah. incredibly powerful wow wow so i mean you kind of touched on it i guess um but if you could go maybe into a little bit more detail about how what role research plays in determining where you go like how do you how does the team determine this is the site we're going to next versus any other like you said you're talking about this church how would you decide to decide between that and maybe another location okay well using the church as an example uh, we, uh, and we haven't done any serious, uh, research on it yet to mm-hmm. be perfectly honest, but I will tell you our, what our process is. First of all, you know, we catch, catch wind of an idea. Mm-hmm. Second, there are, you know, hopefully there are people that can tell us stories and give us other information, um, whether it's firsthand, secondhand or, you know, whatever. Um, at that point, the research does begin, you know, but we have to have a starting point. So we we look for, you know, maybe it's individual names or stories. And then really, it's, it's a lot of digging. We have a, a great researcher, Katie, uh, who's on the mm-hmm. show. And um, she meticulously digs into, um, well, she just digs into the past. <laughs> we know what that's yep. like. <laughs> and digs up, you know, a lot of interesting facts. But then I will also say that a lot of it, you know, really is just on instinct. Mm-hmm. So, so there's there's a mixture. Yeah, well, I imagine, you know, the research really probably becomes integral in possibly just in interactions with these entities because, you know, we, t- we talk constantly about how the language of queerness is always evolving and so many of the the entities that you may encounter may just not even be familiar with the language that we use today. So I know that, you know, early in season one, Katie had mentioned, hey, if we're going to try to make contact with, you know, what we would call now a lesbian nun, you might want to throw in the term particular friend. You want to be able to know how to communicate with these people who, Mm -hmm. you know, and give them the opportunity to talk when they didn't have that language accessible to them. That's exactly true. And so the way we start every single investigation when we pull out the equipment and we, we, you know, usually we'll try and make contract contact first with the dowsing rods. And the first thing that we do is we all identify and, and we use very simple terms. You know, we are a group of women who love women and men who love men and there's no judgment. Mm-hmm. And we try and 
create a you know a um, a place where an entity may feel comfortable in talking to us because you know in the past I mean it was you know it was it was shameful mm-hmm. and or illegal you know or, or as you say they just simply wouldn't understand the terms uh, so we do have to make it very very simple and uh, a lot of times you know we've we've done it both ways and if we don't go through that exercise I know. For those of you know people who don't believe necessarily or are skeptical, I get it. But but uh, in our opinion, a lot of times, you know, the the entities simply they they're not comfortable in talking to us. Mm-hmm. You know, until we until we can make them feel inclusive, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes uh, nothing happens. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of lot of sitting and waiting. Just like yeah. just like people who are still alive, a lot of times they don't talk about their experiences until they feel safe. Absolutely. Safe to share themselves. You know, yeah. If you have a, if a if you have a common experience or you know mm-hmm. a, a point of view that you can share with somebody, you're you know obviously you're going to feel a lot more comfortable in opening up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's another reason why we had to go to the Shawshank prison twice. Actually, mm. is mm. the first time we sort of you know we 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 got a lot of it. But we walked away and, and we started, and we, then we had to go back and do research. You know, we found out this prisoner's name, Michael, for example, mm-hmm. right? Well, okay, well, who is Michael? And um, so we had to start doing, I mean, that's when the research really began because we got, you know, a little tidbit of information that we could start working off of. And, um, and questions, you know, we, we, we f- you know, formulate other questions and hypotheses and things that we have to uh, check out. And so that's another reason why we, we ended up going back. And then we, we learned the rest of the story, um, not only with him, but, you know, a couple of other entities that we found. So like I said, we've got, a, you know, a couple of more episodes with the, the Mansfield investigation. And then I'm excited to, at the appropriate time during this to, to tease everybody about two other investigations we have coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of piggybacking off of that, this show is just as much about the investigators themselves as the queer entities that you all are hunting. And each member of the team uniquely identifies and shares their own individual experiences, as you said, when you're making contact. Why do you think it's so important to showcase a variety of real queer people and identities in media and on this very show that you're doing? Well, we want to make sure we are an inclusive show. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure it's very important for us to make sure that everybody is represented. I I don't want to name any, you know, particular uh, ghost hunting shows. Uh, (laughs) However, you know, there, there does seem to be a pattern, Mm. Um, you know, for example, even as basic as, you know, you look at these other ghost hunting shows and I can't remember the last time I saw one where they found a gay ghost, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or a lesbian or transgender. So, you know, it all seems like they just sort of, I don't know, there's a a lot of similarities. So we wanted to make sure that every, every part of our community, Mm. certainly was included. And, you know, a lot of that, it's not like we cast the, 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 the team. Mm. I mean, this was, this was, this is the way they are and the way that they identify Mm -hmm. and they wanted to be identified that way. Mm -hmm. There was nobody that that was hiding from anything. They want, that's what their, where their comfort level is. And so we wanted that represented. That's awesome. Yeah. It's fantastic that, you know, it's just continually shown throughout the show. Everybody is, when they're introduced, you know, it has what they identify as alongside their names and people get to talk about that, which is really refreshing. I mean, it's 
you know, even just seeing such a large group of trans people all in one place <laughs> together on a show is remarkable in mm-hmm. itself. And the other thing, you know, is uh, just like in, in television in general, isn't it better if you can turn on a, a show or something and, and say, wow, that person looks like me mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. it's it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're, we're really happy with the way that all has worked out. Not to mention that, you know, there's a little bit of fun with everybody has a really good sense of humor on this show. So I just also want to say in, in case somebody hasn't seen our show and they want to go check it out, we have a good time with this. <laughs> well, I mean, some of these other shows, I joke that they think they're saving the world sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and- <Yeah. laughs> I mean, it's it's part and parcel of the genre. It's I mean, you're dealing with some super sometimes gruesome and morbid stuff, especially when you're dealing with like old queer people's lives in that there's a lot of really scary stuff that happened. But one thing that I know that I love, and I'm sure, you know, I can speak for Gretchen Absolutely. as well with this, yeah. is that we we love how the series, how much it pokes fun at the genre and not taking yourselves too seriously. You know, you guys have the lavender cam and kind of yeah. rainbows placed everywhere, you know, just like gloves on the rainbow gloves on the ground. And yeah. Why do you think it's especially important to strike that balance between, you know, the silliness and the camp, but also the seriousness? You know, you talked about how the crew absolutely 100% believes in what they're doing and, you know, wholeheartedly goes full tilt into contacting these entities. Why do you think there's like, that's a, you know, careful balance. You could go in the other direction of being super serious about it. Well, I think if we went personally, there's just enough of enough seriousness and all the rest of the shows to, you know, <laughs> to go around. So I think, I think, I think somebody needed to go in the other direction because, you know, in all fairness, Nobody has died, gone to quote the other side, and come back with a report. Right. So, <laughs> so, you know, there is a lot of faith here. And, you know, I will tell you that I 100% believe after my experience, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people don't. And, you know, we, um, we don't want to make fun of the people that right. don't. Certainly. Uh, We don't want to disparage anybody. But at the same time, you know, um, I think a lot of the humor, uh, sometimes I feel like it's really important for us to take the scariness out of Mm. this. Mm -hmm. I don't believe I don't believe that these people for like in, in the Mansfield prison, for example, the place was scary. I mean, being locked up in there in this huge cell block in the middle of the night, it's freezing and they they throw you in there and then all the lights get turned off. But you know what? The environment was scary. Not the fact that we're talking to, you know, an entity. Mm. That was wonderful. We've had so so many pleasant chats. Mm. And you know what? A lot of natural humor comes out of it. These these entities aren't there to scare people. Mm. Here's another great example. The, um, the lesbian nuns, right? <laughs> yes, the first... that's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> so Madeline, we find out her name is Madeline. You know, Madeline was turned out to be really charming. <laughs> and actually, by the end of the the, um, the season, you know, for those who have watched it, you know, Lori wanted to get rid of Madeline. It's like, Madeline is becoming too clingy, you know? <laughs> yeah, I loved, I loved that she was talking about how a lesbian ghost, a lesbian nun ghost would be her fir- perfect partner. She would never receive a text. I know. <laughs> it was a perfect dating pool. Like, oh, that was great. It's oh, beautiful. Well, and and you know what? Uh, 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 just again, we did not contrive any mm-hmm. of that. 
That is in the moment. That's the way that happened. And so there is natural humor that goes along with this, as long as you're willing to believe, mm-hmm. um, you know, e- even just a little bit. And, um, you know, I guess you can make it scary or not. I mean, we're, we look at it, we just look at it from mm-hmm. a different point of view, mm-hmm. I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, you know, talking about you want to investigate the church in San Francisco. You know, you, you said you were dying to, to you know, I mean, to use the pun, uh, but to go to the uh, the upstairs lounge. Uh, how would how would you like to see Queer Ghost Hunters expand? Like where to next for the show and where are some places or some areas or things that you specifically would like to investigate in the future? Well, um, we have a, a long list um, and I can rattle off a few. You know, unfortunately, it all revolves around, you know, mm. money, right? Right. So we, that that's why, unfortunately, it takes us so long to post new episodes. And I apologize to our audience out there. We're doing the best that we can as quickly as we can. But a lot of it is dependent on uh, finances. But having said that, we have a yeah a long list of places that are, are ready to go. I mean, the Upstairs Lounge, Civil War oh, battlefields. Yep. Mm. Um, we've had we've looked into history, uh, the history of a couple like Gettysburg and mm. a couple of others where uh, there were reports of, well, I mean, you know, just uh, uh, queer people being queer people, right. even then, mm-hmm. um, in the army, right? You know, don't ask, don't right. tell, whatever. I can imagine that could be a really interesting place to explore, like, gender experiences, because there's so mm-hmm. many stories of people who joined the army who were, like, assigned female at birth, joined the army, yep. took on a male identity, and maybe didn't give it up after the army. Absolutely true. We uh, we did some research just on that. I was just about to get to that about uh, women uh, mm-hmm. specifically who wanted to join um, but weren't allowed to at the time, and um, and did exactly mm-hmm. that. So um, so that, so that's one place. Another place besides the upstairs lounge and this church that I talked about is well, we were just there. Stu and I visited the uh, World War II aircraft carrier, the USS Hornet, which actually has a reputation. It's a museum, and it has a uh, quite the <laughs> reputation of being haunted. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just paint the picture. They're at, even in, especially in World War II, they're at sea for months and months and months on an end on a 900-foot, 21-story tall ship that has 5,000 mm-hmm. men on it. So just think about yep. that. <laughs> yeah. It's bound to be at least a few of them on there. <laughs> uh, like I said, we were just there the other day. We we're totally intrigued and we, you know, instant, got off the ship and we're like, okay, this mm-hmm. is on the list. <laughs> yeah. So what do you most hope that viewers take away from watching the show and in getting to know the queer ghost hunters? What do we hope people uh, take away? I would have to say, I'm not, first of all, I can only Mm -hmm. speak for myself. I'm not trying to convince anybody out there as to the existence of ghosts or not. I think that's up to each individual to, to decide. The important thing, the important takeaway for me is understanding that in the end, Mm -hmm. people are people, Mm -hmm. you know, like so many things that we try and do in our community Mm -hmm. is to... Um, show some connectivity to maybe make us seem like everybody Mm. else. And the other thing is that's really important to Stu and myself is to uncover any lost history because by uncovering that lost history, we do show how we're all alike. We've all traveled the Mm -hmm. same roads. Mm -hmm. So that's our big takeaway. Yeah. 
And well, and you find queer history that is just people living and people having experiences. And so you guys doing what you're doing is what we're trying to uncover in our research and doing episodes is, hey, here are these people who just lived and did really cool things or really mundane things, but existed in a queer experience. So it's it's very exactly they they just happen to be gay or lesbian or transgender or different in some Mm -hmm. way. Yeah, it's nice to have stories that don't revolve around suffering as well. That's what one of the things I love most about studying queer history, because while it is important to share the stories of how we've been, you know, oppressed and marginalized, it's important to know those things and also to, you know, fight to end those things. And it's also really nice to find people in history who just were allowed to be themselves and just lived as themselves and lived normal human lives as as boring or as exciting as they were, they were just, they were just people like anybody else. And, and that was, that's what defined them. And I love finding those stories of like, Oh, here are these two lovely women or these two lovely men who like fell in love and lived their life. And maybe, I mean, they had jobs and they did things and then they were buried together and that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that actually segues nicely into me telling you about the most recent investigation that we went on. Ooh, Uh, sneak peek. We we have, uh, again, this comes back to, you know, finances, like we've got more material that we can then sitting on the shelf than we can get out at present. And um, quite honestly, if anybody is interested in helping us out, we do have a Patreon um, subscription available. Yes. Plug, plug, but, plug. Because that, that will definitely help us uh, crank things out faster. But we just recently finished up an investigation um, at a old country farm in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And um, we look back at the history of the farm, and it goes back hundreds of years. And we this is so exciting. We not only made contact with some of the entities that were purported to be in the farmhouse, mm-hmm. Because we actually have stories going back, well, we have stories going back 30 years of experiences with these particular entities. Mm. But not only that, we were able, we, we know the history of those people uh, going back, the entities that we're talking about go back to the late 1800s. And we have photos in the farmhouse that still exist oh to gosh. back it up. Oh my so, gosh. So one of the, one of the gentlemen who um, owned the farm, uh, the family farm uh, in the late 1800s and, and like I think the first decade of the 1900s. He, uh, neat little story, mm-hmm. never married. So big red flag, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And he was older. <laughs> and he, um, the story is that every Saturday night, and he used to make his own hooch because that's what they nice. all did. They all had stills, nice. right? Mm-hmm. And so every Saturday night, he'd have all the guys <laughs> – Oh my in gosh. the neighborhood over every Saturday night. And, oh you know, this is... Uh, what are you talking about? That's the most heterosexual thing you could have just said. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, mm. he was known as the old bachelor. Mm. Uh, uh, there we go. Yep. Lots of things. But, but, uh, and then, and then there was another, um, entity that, uh, was in the house. And she, the story is that she used to have tea with another uh, older mm-hmm. woman who was supposedly her best friend. And this went on mm. for decades. Mm. Now, what is spotted is this tea set floating in one of the rooms sometimes. In the oh, light, wow. And you can hear the clanking oh. of cups. Oh. And I got it. Oh. 
that's wonderful. So we had a really, we had a really, really good investigation wow. there, and I mean, it was really fantastic. We, the other thing that we do as much as possible is we love to get other people who are not necessarily paranormal uh, right, nuts. Right, yeah. <laughs> we love, you know, we love to get people, draw people mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. hadn't really considered it before. So the, the other part of, of the episodes that are going to take place at this farmhouse are that um, it was the weekend of the Ver- Vermont Bear Film oh Festival. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So 200 bears oh that gather on, on this farm property every year. It's organized by the, the owners, current owners of the farm who have to be, happen to be filmmaker friends of ours. And um, there's a, a, a film festival in the old barn and it's not, you know, it's a, it's a small local event, but, but it's become quite a thing. So bear men come from all over and it's a regular thing they do every year and they camp out for the weekend and they go to look at films and have fun. And, and yes, there's some debauchery, <laughs> of course, but we took, so we organized on one night while we were there, a community <gasps> ghost hunt. Oh, fun! We love to involve people that are not part of the group. Just to sort of introduce them to what we yeah. do, how we do it. We went out on this great hunt on the property. There's a there's a, a family cemetery plot, and that's where one of these you know ghosts that I've been talking about is buried. So we can actually look at mm. his headstone. Wow! And it gave an opportunity for some of these guys to make contact themselves. And w- the most important, I mean, just I cannot wait to edit this is uh, most important part was one of the guys, like I said, this bear film festival has been going on. It's been going on for years. It's an annual tradition. So one of the people who used to attend the, uh, the bear festival mm. passed away a couple mm. of years ago, right? We made contact with him. Oh, wow. Because the bear festival was his oh. favorite place to go. And oh. the, reason, the, re- the reason that we made contact with him, you may say, oh, well, how could you, you know, why would you make contact with him there? It's because after he died, he wanted his ashes scattered oh, on the farm. Oh, wow. wow. So a group of, of these people who are coming for the, um, the festival who were with us, we made contact with this, um, their friend. His name was Robert. And they had a conversation. They asked very specific questions and got very specific answers. So I mean, it was wow. incredibly those. It was incredibly wow. convincing. Mm. So um, yeah, that's really going to be exciting. We're excited. Oh man, I'm super duper excited. Oh uh, yeah, I know. I can't <laughs> wait. Everybody, everybody, give them money so we can see these things. <laughs> it's it's a, a great group of little episodes. Yeah, you know, it is uh, not that I'm I'm begging for dollars, but you know, uh, we do often get a lot of uh, we've had a lot of fans that um help us keep keep going and through donations and we're grateful for that yeah we know all about that i mean that's how that's how we keep the fires burning (laughs) so yeah absolutely well and it's i think people are just excited you know wherever they go to be able to i mean if we want to see more queer media we need to put our you know wallets into it we need to be able to directly support indie queer creators Mm -hmm. that's where we're really gonna get what we need and what we want in terms of representation in media instead of going off to big hollywood producers and expecting a bunch of straight people to tell our stories like you can give money to queer people making queer things by gosh do it you're absolutely right and as i said you know Stu and i had uh previous careers in mainstream um Mm -hmm. television in uh in hollywood and, and uh, we decided 
that we're, you know, putting all of that aside because we, we felt the importance of doing projects like this. Mm -hmm. Um, all of our documentaries are, um, LGBT oriented and, um, and, uh, this work is so important because as you said, if, if we're not telling our own stories, who is, right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I can I quickly tell you about one of our other absolutely? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So we also did um, this fantastic investigation in Seattle, and um, oh, Seattle's got a lot cool. with that underground. Totally, totally. But we investigated what is uh, supposedly, and we're still trying to confirm it, but we're pretty sure this is correct: the oldest gay bar west <gasps> of the Mississippi, wow. and identified. A, you know, a, a gay bar, but right. you know, a queer space. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, going back to the 1930s. Mm. It was known as, a, you know, a place, I guess, predominantly mm-hmm. for men at that time. And um, so, so first of all, you got two things going on there. Mm. You know, there was prohibition, but then you also have the fact that, you know, a gay bar really. Mm-hmm. So they had the, um, uh, we, we've done the investigation. It's been redone as a new bar, but the owners have kept the, uh, are very, um, mm. sensitive to the history. They know all the history and they have a lot of the, uh, artifacts from the Ooh. original bar. Ooh. It was called the double header. Mm. And so they have, you know, photos and wall hangings and all of this stuff that shows what it was, what the double header was like in its heyday. You know, they would have burlesque shows that would come in and you know, all kinds of other campy shows and nice. things going on and drag shows. Oh, wow. And there are just a ton of stories. And we were trying to get a hold of the form, the son of the former owner, because the former owner who had it in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, mm. he passed away. But his son took it over and kept it pretty much the way it was. So the son is now in his 80s apparently and we're trying to get a hold of him we're having a hard time but we're trying to get a hold of him because apparently he is the keeper of all the <gasps> stories about oh, the bar oh, wow. and we really want that interview to uncover all that and hear about life was was like in that bar but while we were there we did make contact with a number of people who either were patrons of the bar back in the day but we the exciting one was we made contact with a couple of the musicians one of the local um, <gasps> queer bands that played there, oh. there, groups that played there, and we, like I said, there, there are photos of st- pictures that used to be on the walls in the old place. Well, one of the photos is of that band, so of the members of that band. So we're talking to members of that band, and we have the photo of the band behind us, and we actually got the person that we were talking to, I forget the person's name now, to point out which one in the, gr- in the photo wow. was him. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. You know, it's when we make connections like yeah. that, that is, it's, it's just, you know, like mm-hmm. tingle up your spine. Yeah, it's hard it's to a, count things like that. It really is amazing. Wow. So that's coming up too. Oh, that's that's super exciting. Uh, well, and so you you mentioned that you and your husband, Stu, also do other documentary work. Are there any other projects that you're working on right now anything new and exciting in the pipeline other than than this project well, i appreciate you asking yes as a matter of fact so you know a couple of other documentaries that we've had great success with and and um, are incredibly proud of is a documentary about older lgbt people who go back into mm. the closet when at the point at the point where they start needing health care or have to move into uh, wow. assisted living situations mm. And they go back in the closet because they're afraid of being oh discriminated against. Yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. the kids they're getting, right? Mm-hmm. 
And um, so that film is called Gen Silent, G-E-N Silent, and we're incredibly mm. proud of it. And it's used extensively in uh, universities and the healthcare industry in general for training oh. and teaching and mm-hmm. informing people of this. So we're, uh, we have that, uh, another film that we're really proud of is called real R E E L in the closet. And that is a collection of archived films that we've uncovered going all the way back to the 1930s. And what it is, is a collection of LGBT home movies. Oh, oh wow. You want to talk about, you know, a film showing what, you know, that, Hey, queer people are just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. This is the film. I mean, we've got stuff all the way back to, the, like I said, the 30s that shows people just, you know, men, women, just living mm. their lives. Mm. And it is absolutely fascinating to look at the collections yeah. that we've uncovered. You know, for anybody that likes to see, our, see archival footage, that's an awesome film. But the film that we're working on right now is serious. Like Queer Ghost Hunters is our, you know, sort of relief Mm. valve. (laughs) The film that Stu and I are starting is a documentary on the growing epidemic of loneliness and isolation Mm. around the world. Mm. And that affects every segment of society we're uncovering. You could, you know, obviously the LGBT society we suffer from. Uh, loneliness and isolation, I think, for obvious reasons. But we're we're uncovering, you know, all of these other different aspects of it, and finding that nobody is 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 mm. untouched by it. So we're in early production on that, and we're actually off to the United Kingdom to do some shooting. And in, in, uh, you know, they take it so seriously that they actually, I mean, they're just so mm-hmm. far ahead of us in, in on, on mm-hmm. the subject. Well, on a lot of subjects, but. But they uh, they actually appointed a minister for loneliness. Oh wow! Oh wow! That's how serious the government takes it because they see right. it as a yep. health hazard. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I could bore your audience with a, a million statistics. <laughs> it's 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 really mm-hmm. something. Look, you know, our, our audience is listening to a queer history podcast. They're into statistics. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, here's one. It's been statistically proven that people who suffer from loneliness and isolation, in terms of a health risk, it's equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Wow. It's a very serious thing. It's a, uh, a life mm-hmm. ender. So, so, um, we, you know, it's really kind of a good balance that we're doing such a serious film over there. And then we've got queer ghost hunters over here. That's how you stay sane. Definitely get some levity. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we, you know, we go a little nuts going back and forth between the two, you know, (laughs) that's a tonal shift. Yeah. (laughs) There's also common strands between them. A lot of the entities that Mm. you're making contact with and a lot of the places you're going to in order to find them are places where people really dealt with loneliness, isolation, misunderstandings. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a, it's interesting common thread throughout. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've talked about a lot. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, mention, plugging anything you want to do before we go? I appreciate you saying that. I would just be grateful for any of your audience if they would go to our website. It's theclowdergroup.com, and that's C-L-O-W-D-E-R. And, um, you know, all of our films and projects, including Queer Ghost Hunters, can be found there, as well as information about our new film, The Minister of Loneliness. So that would be great. And uh, anybody that does want to support our work, there are ways to do that on the website. And as I said, including, um, you know, Patreon for Queer Ghost Hunters, and we would be eternally grateful. Yeah. Wonderful. 
Is there any place that folks can interact with you or the other queer ghost hunters on social media? Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. If you go to queerghosthunters.com, that should uh, more than help you out. <laughs> yeah, I believe that that just redirects straight to the uh, straight to the YouTube mm-hmm. page. YouTube. So if you're yeah. if you're if you haven't watched this show, please do. It's delightful. You can go straight there. Um, we will put all of these links in our show notes and up on our website. Thank you, Joe, so much for yeah. talking with us. This has been a lovely start oh. to the Halloween season for us. Thank you. It's been delightful. And, and we were really grateful that, that you invited us on. Oh, you're so very welcome. Yeah. yeah we're, we're grateful to, to have you. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be seeing more from you. Hopefully maybe you can get together in person since we're so close and you know, maybe we can work on setting up some sort of community ghost hunting adventure. That would be so this fun. side of the country. Well, just two last things I wanted to say. First yep. of all, yes, absolutely to that. So please, let's do it. Yes. And secondly, I forgot to mention. Uh, I can't believe I forgot this, but <laughs> to your audience, we do have n- new episodes that are uh, going to be posting in a matter of weeks for the holiday uh, nice. for the Halloween season. So through October, we're going to have new episodes coming out. So please stay tuned and at QueerGhostHunters.com. <laughs> uh, what, what a great thing to leave off on. Again, thank you so much, yes. Joe, for, for talking to us. Thanks yep. to both of you. All right. All right. That was so fun. We yes. had such a great time. That was talking a lot with of- Joe. That was super fun. I'm so glad I, you came. I'm so glad we decided to get silly because there's, I mean, there's I so know. much. There's, there's a lot of camp and a lot of silliness, but there's also such value in looking at these, you know, kind of silly paranormal ghosty things with a an attitude of this is how we can dive into more queer history. These are right. You know, the the very concept of ghosts are lost souls who have unfinished business. And what is more telling of unfinished business than someone who never got to live their lives fully and unfettered. Right. right? Exactly. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah, definitely for those of our fans, check out theclowdergroup.com uh, and definitely check out Queer Ghost Hunters on Facebook and Instagram. You can find them on Twitter at Queer Ghost Hunt and then check out their website, which will link you up to YouTube so you can just look for Queer Ghost Hunters. They have the most adorable icon. Like mm-hmm. it's like a little ghost holding a rainbow <laughs> rainbow flag and it's just like I I just love it. It makes me super yeah. happy. It's adorable. They, they even the have best. in the episodes they have their own ally mascot dog, which I mean I know. if you saw from my haunting calling card, if I can have dogs just like follow me around in the afterlife, I will be a happy happy spirit. So, yes. I love that the dog is just like listed as and I think it's his name is Pork Chop. <laughs> And it's, yes. and it's an ally, and I love it. Yep. <laughs> right, because all everyone else, when they're introduced, has their name and then, like, how they identify. And Porkchop, it just shows this picture of their dog, and it says Porkchop and ally. ally. And I just, it's great. I, I love it. It's yeah. the best. It's so delightful. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much for joining us for our special Halloween spoopy edition of Ooh. History is Gay. That's it for today's episode. You can find us online as always, individually, Gretchen, would you like to tell the internet where they can contact you in the afterlife? Right. Well, when I am not talking about gay ghosts, 
I am writing nerdy media analysis and fangirling over A Song of Ice and Fire, Wynonna Earp, and probably Star Wars for the fundamentals.com and my own personal website, gnellis.com. I am also going to be starting a YouTube channel, which is for mostly A Song of Ice and Fire. So if you're like A Song of Ice and Fire fans, that's primarily what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> and I am called Baal the Bard because I am a huge big old nerd. <laughs> so Baal, B-A-apostrophe-A-L, Baal the Bard over on YouTube. Or you can also probably look for Moon Dancing with Dragons, which is my YouTube channel name. And you can also find me on Tumblr and Twitter as at GNLSWriter. Lee, what about you? So when I am not haunting people and whispering all of the good gay ships into their ear and linking them to great fan fictions, uh, I am usually talking about comics and queer TV in my current life over at A Paradox in <laughs> Flux on Twitter and crying about Xena episodes on my couch, which will probably continue into the afterlife. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. Yeah. Let's be honest over here. Yes. Yes. History is Gay Podcast can be found on Tumblr at History is Gay Podcast. History is Podcast. God damn it. This is what <laughs> happens when I'm drunk. Uh, I'm just sleeping I was going to say, guys, we are now, I am two thirds of a bottle in. I think Leah's had two two beers. Yes. This is uh, the I'm end a, of it, guys. I'm a, bit of a, I'm a little bit of a lightweight. Uh, so, <clears throat> History is Gay Podcast can be found on Tumblr at History is Gay Podcast, Twitter at History is Gay Pod, and you can always drop us a line with questions, suggestions, just to say hi, or your super awesome gay ghosty haunting calling card yes. at History is Gay Podcast at gmail.com. Yes, and if you enjoy the show and want to support us in continuing to make it, you can support us on Patreon, where you get access to Sappho's Salon Minisodes. I just recorded one. It's awesome. Yay. Special sneak peeks, the opportunity to have your voice show up on the show, and and more. You can become a patron by going to the support section on our website and join the ranks of our Patreon community along with the amazing Lainey, David Toronto, Alex, Morgan Clapp, Greg Yoder, Woo! Matt Longrine, Marin, Kelly Nicodemus, Nina Nesseth, and Lizzie Johnstone. Thank you all so much for your support. We couldn't do this without you. For those of you who still nope. haven't heard your name, we're wrapping this up, this first uh, big mm -hmm. wave of supporters, and the next episode. Thank you so much. You have allowed us to get a subscription to JSTOR and make our recordings even better and buy books Yay. so that we're not oh poor, my gosh. not students <laughs> anymore. It's great. Uh, thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> yes. You can also buy awesome merch at our new History is Gay store. Click on the shop tab on our website and that will take you. You can buy – we've got hoodies, we've got t-shirts, we have tanks, we have a tote bag, and we have some awesome new designs coming soon that we've been finalizing. We know we've been telling you that for the last couple episodes, but we are finalizing some new designs for – uh, for those of you who remember our, like, our Arabic erotic poetry episode, we've got some yes. cool designs based on that that are coming that we are very excited about. Yes, it's you too can wear awesome. an, you too can wear an inside joke on your body. It's great. Yes. Everyone will ask what the hell it designed. means. <laughs> yeah, beautifully designed. Everyone will ask what the hell designed. that means, and then you can direct them to our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
You can also rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Please review. It is the best thing that helps us to get more people finding the show, mm-hmm. expanding our awesome community, getting more interaction on our Patreon. Please go over there, introduce yourselves, say hi to everyone in the community. We want it to be a fun place for everyone. Absolutely. So that's it for History is Gay. Until next time, stay queer and stay spooky. Bye.